gentlemen. You wanted the best, you got the best. In strong language and adult content. The hottest podcast in the world. Slowly we rock. Fucking hell, dude. Oh my god, dude. Dude, uh, welcome dude. to Metal's Funnest and Dumbest Podcast, dude. Slowly we rock. Dude. I'm your host, Jimmy Six. To my left is Vince Nelms. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> That's really, no. And across from no, me. No, no. Across from me is. Not being Vince Neal, That's so unfair. <laughs> across from me is. Tommy Blake. I fuck. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. You're Tommy Lee. You're the Tommy right. Lee of this. Um, how are you doing, guys? Good. So let's just cut let's just, let's just cut to the fucking point. We've been drinking and watching Motley Crue's movie, The Dirt. Yes. Fuck yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually had some things to talk about, like big rock and metal stuff, whatever we're getting up to, gigs and that stuff. Um I don't care. But I don't care. The only thing that matters right now is <laughs> we watched <laughs> Mo- so, so we- up front, uh, we're going to be talking about um, the Motley Crue autobiography film, The Dirt. It's on Netflix, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend watching it first, because we're going to go into the weeds with this one. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to get weird. Into the weeds, into the coke, into the heroin. <laughs> like the into the heavens thing. as well, I should yeah. say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to be trying all those live on this one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 of vein. Okay, cool. So, um, between my teeth. <laughs> here we go. So... Okay, a couple of things that of note. One, this is the first time we're recording at Lewis's house. Yes. Yeah, correct. we are recording at Casa Goff, um, follow on Instagram. Uh, it's got Lewis. more followers than we have, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Actually, with- if you're following Casa Goff, if you could follow <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, that's a better way to put that, I think. <laughs> that would be real cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're recording at Lewis's house. Uh, we're not quite in the studio yet, but it feels really good to be here, man. It's nice. Yeah, it's really, really nice. It's lovely having you guys around. Thank it's you for amazing. having us. Um, yeah, it's been lovely. So... I'm a very big Motley Crue fan. Whoa. <laughs> uh, oh, mate, you kept that quiet. Yeah. Dude, no way. <laughs> I might have gone to a couple of extents to get ready for this film this week. Okay. <laughs> the, the biggest one being behind you guys right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Lewis should explain himself. Yeah, I guess, yeah. It's your house, man. You, you go for well, it. We, we plan to do this for... Mm, about the decade of which we've known each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like, um, and the second it was announced as a film, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pr- pretty much just as a, like a flashback to how we all met in the first place. We all used to work in retail. Yep. Uh, for a company called uh, Computer Exchange, and um, we clicked so quickly, um, yep. straight away. Just in terms of like tasting music and stuff like that. I think within maybe like. L- because Dan and I have been working with this company for. I said we click. We've been friends for about we've four friends or five years. years about four years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much the day we met Lewis and we started talking about music, we absolutely clicked on the spot. Yeah. And yeah. the one thing that we all <laughs> had in common <laughs> was a, I'm gonna say passion for Motley Crue yes. and yeah. their autobiography of the Dirt. Um, we talked about Motley Crue previously on the cast. We did an episode on a really bad album we did in the '90s called Generation Swine. Yep. 
um, which isn't really representative of what they're all about, but it's a fun album it's, to talk about anyway. It, it couldn't be less representative <laughs> yeah. of what they're all about, it's, which is exactly why we did it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we decided, we decided to spend an hour and a half talking about a band we love and an album we hate. Very like, But that's, I guess, why you listen to this podcast. The duality of man. Yeah. <laughs> Straight away, we all clicked on the fact that we not only love the music of Motley Crue, yep. but we really love their autobiography, The Dirt. Yeah, it's perfect. It's yeah. one of the most insane books ever written. Yeah, yep. it's one of the absolute best books on autobiographies and books on rock <laughs> that you will read for sure. What makes it's also it... amazingly unbelievably honest, I would say. <laughs> yeah. like, And that's yeah. why it's so incredible. They really don't come off well for most part <laughs> across the no, book. <laughs> but it... I disagree. I think, I think, I think but it's... then they also do at the same time. It's it's a real good balance of like the the voyeuristic insanity. Like you want to watch the absolute craziness of like what you think of when you think of rock and roll. Yeah, it's and, um it's every eighties sex, drugs, and rock and roll cliche rolled into one. Yeah. They basically wrote the guidebook on how to be a um, lunatic, a lunatic, yep. coke fueled, um, sex fueled rock band. Yeah, um, the hair, the makeup, the music, the rock the, star. Yeah, the rock star. The lifestyle. When, when you think yeah. of an 80s rock star, they are the absolute definition of that, almost yeah. to the point of cliche. Yeah. Um, and the, the their biography, The Dirt, um, is the, you know, it's the Bible on how to live that lifestyle. It's yeah. warts and all, to say yeah. the least. Yeah, warts and all, yeah. But then there's the other side as well, which is the real human yep. side of it. Yep. And, and that's that's what, what kind of makes up for it, They all I go guess. through a lot in their personal lives outside of the debauchery yeah. and it just brings a balance to the whole book. It, it brings a balance from these men who are borderline despicable. They're basically, <laughs> cartoon, they're basically cartoon characters for and it humanizes a lot them. of it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, for a long time, there's been a lot of talk about making a movie of it um, because the book effectively restarted their career. Um, they, they were, mm, you know... I feel like there's... There's an analogy that you could use right there. You would, you might say it kickstarted their heart, oh, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> that's right. That's right in the veins. Hey, that's one of their songs. <laughs> but it, it got a lot of people interested in the band again. Sorry, can we just say we're recording in Lewis's home sweet home as well? And <laughs> yeah, apologies yeah. to anyone waiting for that one and we missed it. Can't Carry on. on with the show. Yeah. So it, it got a lot of people interested in the band again. As a result of it, they basically reunited. They sort of tour again. They started doing arena shows again, headlining festivals. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like they, they kind of had it, not necessarily had it coming, but if you think of a lot of like the kind of rock star indulgences of new metal, I think that like the, like, you know, the kind of excess of bands like Limp Bizkit and Korn. Yes. If not emotionally, musically, the embodiment of that i think motley crew were that in the 80s if that makes okay, sense okay so if you can think of like how big a celebrity like say fred durst was in like the uh, late 90s early okay. 2000s yeah motley crew were kind of equivalent of that like yeah. in the press constantly music videos always on tv mtv personalities MTV personalities yeah. dating celebrities that kind of thing i guess that's it as well is that they blew up at the same time that MTV started. Yeah. Yeah. So they were one of the first kind of, well, one, they were super visual. Mm. So they yes. lent themselves to MTV. Yeah. to this new format that people were experiencing music mm. through. Yeah. And two, the, their sound absolutely embodied everything that was going on in LA at the time. Yeah. Which in the 80s was the coolest place to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because um, we think of what MTV is now. And MTV is a combination of reality TV shows... I think and, it's just that now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and if they ever do cover music... It's, sometimes it's, Xena. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of um, very mainstream, more pop, 
hip hop R and B focused stuff. Like I mm-hmm. think hip hop R and B pop almost together now. They're almost borderline decipherable now. Yeah. But in the in the nineteen eighties, MTV was rock music. That's what yeah. it was all about. It was yep. yeah, big guitars, headbangers big drums, ball. headbangers ball. Yeah, it was all about rock music. Yep. And Motley Crue were probably the you know the epitome of that. And also, actually, on that same point, which I still think is fascinating. Um, if you're listening to this and you're not too hot on rock and metal and all that kind of stuff, I mean, one, this is a very bizarre choice for podcast for you, but I hope you enjoy <laughs> Thanks it. Thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But two, I guess the only way to kind of describe it is that whatever's in the charts now, back then, would have been rock. Yeah. Like the number ones were Bon Jovi, Motley Crue. Yeah. It, it was, Poison. It, yeah, it was, it was Poison the biggest big thing. Deal. It was the most mainstream thing to be in a rock band which yeah, is crazy precisely, to yeah. think about that now yeah, is amazing even then when you think of like what by in the 1980s what a pop band consisted of and pop bands were bands like Duran Duran bands that actually played their instruments yep. wrote their own songs stuff like that um, so it, the, pop wasn't a dirty word back then if no. that makes sense it, yeah. it had credibility as well Yeah. but yeah rock music was the mainstream metal was the mainstream and Motley Crue were pretty much at the pinnacle of that for a decade. So they had this autobiography, which was co-written also by Neil Strauss, who wrote, who co-wrote Marilyn Manson's autobiography, The Long Hard Road Out of Hell. Yeah, and nothing which, else. He wrote nothing yeah, else. Yeah, and nothing else. else. Yeah. Very and important else, to stress. And nothing else we're going to talk about on this podcast. Nope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God, if you think about his career, actually, yeah, he is, he is a relic of a bygone age. But, um, <laughs> Good. Yeah, uh, yeah, au revoir. Um, but uh, the book, there's been talk, because the book is so notorious as well, there's been talk of making a film of it for years and years. I think because it came out, what, late 90s? And I think pretty much just... 2001. As, yeah, no, that was it. Yeah, 2001. 2001 I feel like, released, yeah, yeah. We, as long as that book has existed, there's been talk of doing a movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it. I mean, it just lends itself, doesn't it? Yeah. The ideas and the sort of what it conjures up. Finally, after um, the best part of what? Nearly ten years of friendship, and twenty years since almost twenty years since yeah. it came out, we have finally got together and we've watched the Dirt movie, the long-awaited Motley Crue biopic. And we're recording this on the day that it's been released. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is fresh. Hot this, takes. We've been so excited. We finished watching it about week. twenty-five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. So in in preparation for it, <laughs> I bought a fifty-five-inch TV. <laughs> I upgraded my Netflix to the ultra high definition which did not lend itself well to the movie <laughs> that's the first thing that's been played in 4k through that fucking tv <laughs> no that is a low def movie <laughs> and you're taking the tv back aren't you tomorrow yeah. that's what you said so uh... yeah actually no it's like because like the actual stickers are still on da, it da, 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 don't worry dude da, it's fine man it's fine bro yeah no i can see uh, the sti- it's fine on the sides the stickers are still on thank, there i just want to thank curry's for their sponsorship <laughs> of this curry's. podcast yeah and I also need to stress that they do not sponsor us. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are sponsored by Papa John's and KFC and no one oh, else. Oh, no, no. No, we are not. So please don't sue us. Um, so what I want to do first, what were your expectations going into the film? What were you expecting? What did you think you'd see from the film? What did you want to see from the they film? They were low. My expectations were not high. <laughs> um, I knew I would have a good time watching it yep. because I knew we would have a few drinks and we'd have a good time. And every time we hang out, we always have fun. Absolutely. And so I knew we would mm. enjoy watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of humor so, I, so I knew we'd enjoy watching the movie. I was not expecting a work of art. No, no. Not even the slightest. I was, I was honestly expecting something about on par with, 
I may have mentioned it on a podcast. Oh, a film called Rockstar, starring Mark Wahlberg. I expected <laughs> it to be about on par that I was going to say, it's going to be heavy on the cheese, heavy on the cliche, um, but yeah. it will be an entertaining Friday night after a few drinks kind of movie. And in that respect, it absolutely delivered. Um, as like someone who has read The Dirt, loves Motley Crue, loves his 80s rock, there were glaring omissions in that movie. <laughs> like the line always... We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, the, the thing I always think of, the quote I always think of, it's an episode from The Simpsons where Bart is talking about Christopher Clown's autobiography. And he says, <laughs> he describes it as self-serving with glaring omissions. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, and that is exactly how I describe um, the dirt. Um, in terms of recent, like I've not seen um, Bohemian Rhapsody, okay. but I would say it is. It's, it's, yeah, it, right. like I would say it's not on par with the first half of Straight Outta Compton. Okay, which is the first half of Straight Outta Compton is great. The second half is bad. Nams, what what were your expectations going in? Uh, I just wanted the greatest hits of the book. To be honest, yep. I wasn't expecting it to follow it properly because it the book is massive. It's a it's, it's a big read. It's, it's really a big read. Yeah. yeah. It's a um, so there's no way you could ever unless you did like a couple of TV series worth of stuff. Uh, yeah, I wanted the greatest hits of just moments I remembered from the film, and I got that. To be honest, yeah. And I think the thing I kind of had to keep reminding myself is it's there's lots of cliches in it, but it's kind of because what they did has become cliche since. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it, it, yeah, it did what I wanted it to do, which is have a dumb, stupid time and just hit random sort of character bits from each book. Uh, how, what about you? Yeah, exactly the same. I, my expectations are not high. I don't think, particularly, this is a bold film to release in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that <laughs> there was a bunch that they did omit, which I... It's knowingly Again. toned down, I would say, from the book. Yes. Yeah. And probably for the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, th- and it's, I think it's, it's difficult because all this stuff happened in a completely different mm-hmm. day, completely different age. Um, so I was fascinated to see how they handled some pretty shocking behavior yeah. in 2019. The, yeah. dirt, the, the actual <clears throat> book, The Dirt, is the antithesis of Time's Up and Me Too. It yes. Is- Everything that movement was based around in many ways. Yes. And this movie had the difficult job of appealing to fans of the book, a Motley Crew, who, even though they know a lot of that behavior is wrong, still love the rock star fantasy of that, while also having to make a movie for a modern audience who actually are engaged and care yes. about think i was gonna say like I was, like it's some sort of far-off concept like you know women treat, being treated like by like, like human beings yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. And, yeah um not shying away from the repulsiveness of and yeah in, ma- in yeah and yeah. in many ways i think making this movie is almost a thankless task because in capturing everything that motley crew were about and what the book is about you are basically making a huge condemnation yep of um, a generation of shitty behaviour from incredibly rich, incredibly spoiled men. At the same time, though, to shy away from that is also to shy away from what makes the... The truth, the gritty truth. What, makes, yeah. what is the truth for that book? And also what kind of makes it entertaining? Because that book, in a nutshell, I mean, it goes in some dark places, not just as in terms of, like, this 80s rock band's treatment of women, because it is fucking dark and then when you think about it 
but also their but it's actual, very open their, about their, that yeah, as well, but they're right? also their personal lives. It acknowledges it. Yes. And so but, what I was worried to, about. To shy away from that is both disrespectful, mm-hmm. but also dishonest to the source material yeah. and not capturing what you like people like about the book and that what people like about that book is the indulgent 80s rock star fantasy. And fantasy is the key yeah. word there, I think. Yes. Yeah. And then what I was I was slightly worried about with it is that if if Motley Crue were quite involved in its writing and production and everything, yes. that they, all the portrayals of them might come off smelling pretty great of roses. Yeah, so yeah. it would come out of that shitstorm smelling of roses, yeah. Yeah, because again, I cannot stress, there is some very unforgivable shit. Yep. Um, yeah, okay, cool. So, so that's what we thought. Um, the build-up to it, the yep. build-up to the dirt, we got... Brand new Motley Crue material. Oh, we certainly did. <laughs> Whether we wanted it or not. So no one asked my, us. My, my biggest takeaway, because um, I've, like, I've got a couple of train journeys this weekend. My big takeaway was that I'm really looking forward to listening to old Motley Crue <laughs> on yeah. those train journeys. Okay, cool. So, when we, so to begin, um, we're kind of going to get into a little bit of casting as well in the movie. But as a result of like, you know, because this is kind of a weird one as well, because Motley Crue broke up about four years ago, right? Uh, 2015? Yeah. Yeah, they that. basically called it a day um, and they were very much like, we are done, this is over. Yeah. Like a gazillion rock bands have said before. Um, <laughs> and I think Nicky Six has this ability where he can really sell you on something even though it's not completely true. 100% every time. Um, yep. Yep. Nicky Six is a funny one because the way he kind of markets himself or like pushes himself is like he is this artist with lots of integrity now now he's an artist with lots yeah. Of integrity. yeah 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 um but in reality he is you know he will do something because it will make him some money yeah. like so many other musicians and that's okay it's his he's fucking, fucking smart it's he his job very it's his, switched it, on yeah, dude it's his job to do that he's a music he's a professional musician but when motley crew broke up um four years ago and called it a day he was very much like this is fucking We're done dead. this is over it's dead yep. if you didn't see it you missed it tough luck you should have come and seen us yeah they were very adamant about that very adamant yes um much to the chagrin as well of like tommy like when they broke up tommy said literally like nikki just refused to talk to him he just walked away wasn't accepting his phone calls anything like that because i think in nikki's head crew is done i'm walking away from this yeah and yet somehow as soon as like the netflix movie comes around (laughs) for netflix money he's back in the studio with the band writing and recording new songs (laughs) Uh, which fair enough, man. If I could, if I could bust out songs like he can, I would be writing for money so, all the time. So they release cover songs like he can. Uh, <laughs> so they yeah. released a track called "The Dirt." Uh, yeah. So they've recorded what two new songs? <laughs> yes. Yeah. One, one of which is new for Motley Crue. <laughs> yeah. Which is "The Dirt," which features uh, Machine Gun Kelly, who plays Tommy. So yes. Quite a nice like tie in there. So yeah. what, what did you guys think of that track? Uh, for the most part, I liked it. To I, be thought, honest. I it's, thought it was fine. I it's heard what it. I expected. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I, yeah. You know. I think it's what I expect from Motley Crue in 2019. <laughs> it's over for you or it's not at this point. You know, they're not going to win any new fans. With no. Yeah. Song. It's kind of weird because like, yeah, if you're... If that's you're a really a, good point. Yeah. If you're a fan of Motley Crue, then you want 80s Motley Crue. Yeah. Right? Or at least just Saints of Los Angeles. Newer Motley Crue that's fun and just acknowledges what they were, I guess. I think, I think that is for, for people who are like big rock hair metal fans who yeah. just love the genre. Yes. So we get Machine Gun Kelly. Now Tommy Lee has always... How do you, how do you describe the song with Dirt? Like, how does it go? It's just like sleazy, sleazy Motley Crue type song, right? It's got its kind of 
dark electronics that you expect from new Motley Crue. Yeah. It has kind of just big, catchy, fun chorus. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're trying to be modern, but for like five years ago. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's a very, very good. But not, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, one thing that did confuse me, though, is Tommy Lee has definitely always wanted a lot of rap influence yeah. into Motley Crue since, since about... 1990 yeah yeah he's really wanted to bring rap in as we discussed on our, our generation swine one so he finally got to do it with machine gun kelly and i don't think they really let him do his I thing don't, yeah <laughs> I, no they didn't use his strengths i feel Which like weird yes yeah, i feel like it was a rap as written by tommy lee the reason why i think it was written yeah. by tommy lee is because he makes machine gun kelly shout out Big tits. Well, I've actually so for for the viewers here as well. I do actually have a clip oh, thank you of, of this rap section. Fantastic. So I just want to point out that it's actually the the rhythms, which is the main thing. You want like a real good rhythmic flow and everything mm. is real standard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like Vince comes up with much better rhythms all the time. I think he's a way stronger <laughs> writer. So uh, yeah, here is the Dirt uh, featuring Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Do you know what it reminds me of? Um, Black Flag TV party when you're listening to TV shows. But the, but the, the speed of that is more like um, we didn't start the fire. Uh, TV party is like got a bit of a rhythm uh, and slower pace to it. Whereas uh, we didn't start the fire, that's very much. Did you clock what that was? Huh? Did you clock what that was? What? What I just played you. What, was it you? Yes. I thought, yeah, so. I thought, yeah. I thought it sounded weird. Do you know what I was doing? What? It's the only Fools and Horses theme tune. <laughs> Is it really? Over the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Please play that again. <laughs> I just I just heard the word big tits and assumed I it was The song didn't sound quite right there, yeah. But I was thinking, the problem is, I didn't know if it was your laptop speakers. Long live Hooker Street. <laughs> oh, mate, sick of putting in my pocket. Fuck oh, my hell. God. Sorry, I, so I've been trying to see this. What's the surprise? You've been... <laughs> Did you record the long live Hooker Street bit? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to have it go straight into the actual uh, Only Fools Horses thing. I always thought that it was Rodney who sung the theme beat end credits. <laughs> yeah. I, see, I always thought it was Trigger. No, I thought yeah. it was Rodney who sang it. I could see either I was convinced. of them. It was neither of them. So. I also thought that Rodney did the theme to Goodnight Sweetheart as well. I just thought he was like a Dennis Waterman, just did all the theme songs to like every TV show he was in. Write the theme tune. Yeah, sing, sing the theme, theme tune. tune. Yeah, it's fine. It's Motley Crue, whatever. Like, no one's watching that movie for new Motley Crue music. That's blown my mind. The thing that, <laughs> the thing that like, really... Like, again, not the worst Motley Crue song I've heard this week, though. No, because they did another one. So, yeah, Mo so I guess... Cause it wasn't even it wasn't even in the movie. Shit. Yeah. So also to keep things nineteen eighty. No way it would have been unless it was in the credits. That's yeah. The only place no, we watched it free to the very end. No, that's where you would have put it. I mean. Yeah. yeah. So Motley Crue also did a cover of another eighties classic, but for some reason Motley Crue decided they were going to cover um, Madonna's "Like a Virgin." Yes. That's a weird choice. So when I so weird when I heard it. I genuinely wasn't expecting it to be. I was like, oh, that's funny. They've called it this. Yeah. And then it is just a cover of Madonna. Um. Absolute banger, but 
The original's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've inspired yes. that. In the, ori- the original is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> inspired that classic Pulp Fiction scene as well. Was it Reservoir Dogs? Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs, Dogs, I should yeah. say. Yeah. But what I was very concerned about is what the fuck scene they were going to put in with that. I assumed yeah. that they would have like done all of these things to be in the film, but it wasn't. I think they probably heard Vince's vocals on this track and they went, <laughs> you know what, we don't need it in the film. Yeah, it's it, so Madonna's like a version, right? She, okay, well, she must be what, in the mid-20s when she recorded that. It, like early 20s. If that, yeah, and yeah. like the song obviously has lots of sexual connotations, but you've got like perspective of a woman in her 20s in the 80s singing yeah. that song versus some men in their <laughs> mid to late 50s singing that in 2019. It's gone from a kind of weird song about like a sexual awakening and liberation to preying on... Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. But like Vince Neil's vocals are so buried in the mix as well, right? I think for... Like, rightly so. And ri- yeah. <laughs> Not buried deep enough, if you ask me. Yeah. You can still dig them up. <laughs> all right cool so let's do it let's get on to the movie let's okay so the mo- okay so for everyone who's curious like maybe if you don't want spoilers or whatever one go read the book then two the movie's on netflix <laughs> if you don't want watch the film first because the book would take you like several months <laughs> to get through <laughs> if you don't want any spoilers go and read their entire fucking yeah. autobiography is there, is, yeah. is there an audio book of it as well like there should be with um, them reading it yes that'd be incredible oh, right wonderful yeah cool Right. Uh, so, um, for the, yeah, if you've not watched it, it's less than two hours. Go watch on Netflix. You all have Netflix. And if you don't have Netflix, you have someone else's login for Netflix. So you've yes. got no excuse for watching it. Um, you can use ours. Just uh, just hit up our Gmail. Solihurok at gmail.com. We'll give you. I will not give you my Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, sh- 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 it's fine. I already have enough it's people freeloading off my Netflix. No, it's fine. We're going to pay for it with that okay. sweet Papa John money. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, the pizza dollar. Okay, cool. So we all made some notes during the movie. Um, Can I read out my first note, please? Yes, please. Yeah, uh, just to sum up, this sums up kind of a whole film. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna read it verbatim. My first one is drumstick spinning, dude. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's within the first minute of the film. I I also noticed the drumstick spinning constantly. Yeah, there is not a second that Tommy Lee is on the screen and not spinning a drumstick. In case you forget, he's a drummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My first note is wow. No cliche or money spared. 4K does not help with film. <coughs> yeah. I do I think, not know if that was ultra high definition. Yeah, I think that was maybe one of the least cinematic films I've ever seen in my entire life. In terms of like cinematography and production values, it's on part of an episode of Hollyoaks After Dark. Yeah, it's very TV, wasn't it? It was like the most made-for-TV movie. And it's so weird because having watched Triple Frontier on Netflix... Yes. Um, which was which debuted, I think, about a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an incredible. That, I, I thought it was a fucking cool movie. It's a proper cinematic, and film. it is an incredibly cinematic movie. Cool. Same with Roma, that was on Netflix recently, but okay. got nominated, won Best Director at the Oscars and yep. Best Cinematography as well. And also, um, fuck, what was I watched on Netflix recently? Netflix original. My mind's gone blank. Well, I mean, you've really listed two yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two fantastic movies. Oh, no, Annihilation. Annihilation that came yeah. out last yes. year. Yeah. One, oh, of my, God. one of my favourite movies of last year. Looks Incredible, insane. right? Um, the idea of like a made-for-TV movie or straight-to-on-demand straight straight TV movie, like that, the definition of that has changed dramatically yes. with Netflix yes. now. But Motley Crue brought us back down to earth <laughs> with the dirt. That is the most fucking, like... 
soap opera looking movie I've ever seen in my entire life. It was fucking strange. Yeah. So it looked unbelievably cheap. I thought yeah, it looked it so did. cheap. The shots, yeah. the angles, everything looked real cheap. Mm-hmm. However, the costumes, the yep. set pieces, yeah. everything else must have cost an absolute bomb. Because I was watching it thinking... They did not spare any expense on this, except from filming the fucking thing. <laughs> I know. Attention to details, there, isn't it? I think insane. The hair and the makeup, incredible. Yes. That said, though, there were bits in the movie which are again, do you know what? It's all ties together. Yes. There's a bit where they get you get the tour uh, montage, and it's like every rock movie has a tour montage, and I was waiting for the Motley Crue yeah. one, and this was a fucking shit one. It was not a good tour montage. <laughs> Uh, usually get like the cranked up footage of a tour bus, right? Yeah. Like to, yeah, yeah, to going through to the yeah. United States at like three times the speed. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, usually yeah, yeah. get like uh, with a map, a shot of a map and like a red a line, on it. right? A marker on it. You get loads of different towns, loads of like it cuts to like lots of different performances. Maybe a singer saying New York's Madison Square Garden, that kind of thing. That was missing from the movie completely. Yeah, I feel like they filmed it as well and they just didn't put it instead. In there. What they had was just basically like a li- like them playing on stage. Then it cut to the crowd while a list of tour dates went on the screen. And do you know what that made me think of? Rockstar. The advert for Jared Fretton's fucking tour. Yeah. Oh my God. It was yeah. like the Fretton tour. Oh, so, okay, so now, am I right in saying that we're talking about the Dr. Feelgood? Yes, yes. Dr. Feelgood era. Tour, it had yeah. All, yeah. all the dates. I also had my favourite cliche of the singer or other person trying to get hold of a loved one on a... A payphone and not being able to Great. love it every time <laughs> <laughs> they never reach that person also sorry I need to hang on I need to defer from the podcast a second listen to this you put a lime in there I watched you do <laughs> that and I wondered whether okay. you'd work it out or not <laughs> I was waiting for that cool so so, uh, okay, back to it. So, okay, we, we, I, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but yeah, one of the least cinematic movies I've ever seen. It, it looks like an episode of Hollyoaks. Yeah, it's so uncinematic, and that kind of makes sense in a way because Jeff Tremaine directed Jackass, right? Jackass, you don't watch for the beautiful cinematography or whatever, except Jackass 3D, which which you go to the cinema, yeah, and watch in 3D, yeah, with the big musical number, unbelievable, yeah, right? incredible, right? Yeah. And the, the weird thing is, though, There's when you've you... been seeing, seeing a fucking dick on the big screen, <laughs> swatting <laughs> a baseball. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, when I think of Jackass, the Jackass movies, right, he's in there with the handheld camera. It's gritty. It's realistic. Because it, it's a documentary, effectively. Yeah. And so that's what I want to expected from The Dirt. Like, although it's set in the era of like absolute decadence, I thought it would maybe he would tackle it with like that gritty realism mm-hmm. that yeah. he approached Motley, to uh, Jackass. Instead, he puts that eight that eighty sheen over it and tries to make a polished production, but he doesn't have experience as a filmmaker and doesn't have the budget. And yeah. as a result, it looks like a soap opera. Yeah, it was weird, and I, I agree. I think like almost like that shaky hand cam would have just looked so better, like so much better. Yeah, yeah. especially all the like drug use and stuff. It would just given it a bit of edge, I think, uh, instead of a weird polish. That's exactly it. Yeah. I think it was lacking the edge. So there was obviously... Yeah. Spoiler alert, there's quite a lot of drug use in this film. <laughs> yeah. and it Within felt, seconds. Of... It felt quite fluffy. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't even feel kind of like dirty fun. Yeah. Or like kind of someone's got a super problem. 
it was just kind of like, oh, here's a glamour, I don't know, a bit yeah, of a glamour shot, right, right? right? So, again, so all, a lot of the way through the movie, I was thinking of people who I would have loved to have seen direct this film. Um, I feel bad for Jeff because, like, that, this Jeff, Jeff Tremaine, like, he's talked about it for years, but um, his dream project has been Motley Crue's The Dirt. He's been trying to make it for years. And I watching it, I thought, okay, there are maybe three or four directors who I think would be so much better for this. You'd never probably get them to make it, but in the dream world, one, okay, Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. Right? The drug use, the decadence, the indulgence of that movie. Yes, it's set in like the world of like business, but it's the same 80s rock star mentality yep. applied to yep. a different world. It captures world, it much better. Right? <laughs> it captures it so much better in the indulgence. Because it feels as intense yeah. as what they're experiencing. Like, exactly. They capture that intensity, which yeah. I don't think they do. Also, Precisely. Um, my, other, sorry, my other director of yep. choice, okay, again, because one of my favourite movies of all time, um, Paul Thomas Anderson circa Boogie Nights, right? He did a better uh, job as well. Again, did a better job. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen Boogie Nights? Yes. Yeah, again, one of my favourite movies of all time, uh, The Rise and Fall. Also, of... also when, I, when I did watch Boogie Nights... Oh, no. Uh, you watched it with your parents... Yes. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. No. And I think everyone was under the impression, oh, this would be like a Saturday Night Fever type. <laughs> oh, yeah, fuck. right? Yeah. Saturday Night Fever is a really dark movie as well, though. That's not one you'd watch for your parents either. No, yeah, it's not I, Boogie we, Nights we've admitted, a, uh, we've admitted something from that, yes. But um, yeah, so I, th- I thought it'd be more of a kind of disco fun. Old no, it's, it's about Paul. It, yes, it is. Yes, yeah, Burt yes. Reynolds directing. Paul. It's um, it's the rise and store, rise and fall, and rise again of Mark Wahlberg as a porn star in the late seventies, early eighties. But it captures the sex, drugs, rock and roll of that era perfectly. Yes. Who did Crank? Uh, it was two guys, Jason. Uh, Never Dean and Taylor is their name. Sorry, that could have yeah. been amazing for the first half of that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. It just well, we almost like- get that with Tommy's Big Day. So that's film, a weird thing. Which is the best bit of the film. Right? The yeah, yeah. So it was are we, the thing are we where... talking about the wedding now? No, Tommy's no, day is in... We describes his... Yeah, his day Just the montage of what he does in one day. And yeah. then he does it every day on tour. Which was exactly... Uh, have you ever seen... I think it's called Being Frank, the episode of It's Always Sunny in yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah. From the point of view of Danny oh, yeah. DeVito. God, those guys could have made a better Molly Crew movie. Be yeah, yeah. 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 So that's the thing. Like, let's get into I, the film itself. Let's yeah, get into let's, the film film, itself. let's get into we, film we itself. So, yeah, yeah. so strapped for time. There's know, so much okay, to cool. talk about. Um, positives about the movie, though. Yes. Machine Gun Kelly is fucking perfect as Tommy Lee. Take a bow. Take your bow, Machine Gun Kelly. Yep. And also, I have to say, I really, really liked. Um, Oh, I should look up his name. Ramsey Bolton from... Ga- I'm only going to refer to him as Ramsey Bolton. Ramsey yeah. Bolton from Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's, that's, Mick, that's Mick Mars. Because yeah. uh, in the book, Mick Mars' chapters always have this bit of a dark cloud sort of echoing all the absolute insanity of mm. the other guys. And I really felt they got that just right. He was uh, incredible. The first time you see him when he's auditioning for the band, though, it reminded me of Nigel Tufnell from um, This Is Final Tap. Yes. Because of the um, faces he pulls when yes. he's playing <laughs> guitar. Um, I yeah. actually, to be fair, I think all three... I say, well, that's giving it away. Um, those two and <laughs> the actor who plays Nikki Six are all excellent. Uh, yeah. Vince I, was really bland and quite like forgettable for a front man as well. So, so Vince, I I have I have some thoughts on that. Yeah. As, so, as to why they've made it, they kind of maybe undersold his story. But mm, I mm. I don't but feel I think like it's his acting as well. I think that's the problem. So he felt so soap opera. Yeah. yeah, so so. If I had described Vince Neil's 
arc in the dirt, I would say he is maybe the worst human being on the planet. Yep. I and mean, the most horrible thing ever happens to him. Yeah. Yeah. And that in the story is kind not his redemption. It's his turning point. But it's his turning yeah. point. Mm. And I don't think the movie stresses how fucking awful he was as a human being before. And it doesn't spend enough time dealing with how horrible what happens to him is. Yeah. Another and, highlight, I would say, is their first gig as a band. Yes. Where you basically a dude spit on Vince Neil. Uh, they're all doing voiceovers and it keeps freeze framing as, a, as they're fighting uh, these punks. So good. Fucking it's incredible. Great. Yeah. Fucking great. There was an amazing shot where it's Nicky Six about to swing his bass around a guy's head <laughs> and freeze frames on him while he's complaining about how it's their first gig and he's really annoyed that they've had to resort to fighting people. I mean, it just cuts back to him smashing this guitar into a guy's head. But then it's so all, funny. But then all of a sudden it cuts to Tommy Lee diving from his drum yeah. kit yeah. off the stage to smash Also annoyed, shouting like, dude, yeah. I can't and believe And then, the, then it freeze frames and goes, oh, dude, we're fighting our first gig. Oh, whatever, man, let's kick some ass. Yeah. It was, I think Tommy Lee, for all the fun parts, is the voice that you want of Monty Yeah, Green. completely. And Machine Gun Kelly... Absolutely nailed it. Unbelievable. Yep. Absolutely looks so much like him. It. They've got the mannerisms and the drumstick twirls. So and the, my yeah. experience of Machine Gun Kelly is really limited. He Re- looked like he was having fun every single yep. moment of that. I think maybe some of the other guys didn't... Honestly, I feel like the other guys didn't look like they were having a lot... Not They didn't yep. look like they were having as much fun as him. Yep. There was not a single moment where Machine Gun Kelly was not absolutely loving every minute of being in that movie. Yeah. And that encapsulates everything about Tommy Lee. Like, Tommy Lee is a fucking problematic dude. But yes. if you read that book and you spend watch anything, interviews with Tommy Lee, anything, he is a man who just fucking loves life. Yep. And he, Machine and Kelly capture that perfectly. And Tommy Lee is like a puppy dog. He's a puppy dog that occasionally, like, you know, shits on the sofa or the carpet and you think, you fucking dickhead, why have you done that? But at the same time, though, He's also like a puppy dog, but you're like, oh my God, like he's adorable and like he's a lot of fun and like, I love him. He's done some fucking awful things, but no, I still- Actually, Jim, I'm sorry. I just watched a film about Motley Crue. <laughs> from what I get from that, Tommy Lee's been fine. Yeah. I think that's maybe <laughs> what is my, not my biggest issue in the movie, but like there is some whitewashing of that film. Right? No, he, uh, he cheated on his girlfriend at one point. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Right, okay, he's not so quite sorry. I, I'm, I thought he was a bit of a white So, what knight. I'm going to do, because I know we've, we're probably pressed for time, yep. I'm going to run through all of my notes in one go, and then if we all go through all of our notes, and we'll just like talk on the things we all agree on, right? Okay, okay. that sounds good. We're going to okay. blast Pete it. Yeah, we're going to, bl- yeah, this is. Uh, Fuck yeah, dude. This is the scum of an Apom Death biopic, yeah. Okay, you cool. Um, I thought the film did a pretty good job of capturing the pretense of Nikki Six, who thinks he's making art. Yep. Uh, there's that bit of a start where he, he when they're doing the auditions he describes I'm not sure if it's meant to be funny uh, but where he describes like basically their music is something no one's ever done before yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether that was meant to be funny yeah. and showing he's a bit pretentious or not, whether you're meant to believe yeah not the Rolling Stones not ACDC not yeah. the New York Dolls not Van I, Halen I, no one's ever done it before I, no, in, all, in all fairness no one had they were the amalgamation of all those things yes they yeah. didn't sound like any of them but also they sounded like all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, all great yeah, bands. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, do you know, it's the same way that like say. Fire. No, okay. Point number two. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, I loved that there was that scene where Vince, Vince Neil was having sets in the, um, he was having sex in his like dressing room or whatever. Yep. 
and he was completely naked, like with the girl over the sink having sex, but he kept his neckerchief on. Yeah. Yep, I buy it. Yeah. I buy it. That I buy it great. now. Yeah, but he's like running around the arena. Lewis like, is just wearing a neckerchief now. It's a bit awkward, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> and the guy who played Vince Neil, nowhere near as good looking as 80s Vince Neil. 80s Vince Neil looked like a fucking 80s hair metal. I don't know how you'd cast that, though. I've, yeah, he's almost too good looking, isn't he? Uh, yeah, 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 he is, yeah. yeah. And he also in a, like a very, very specific way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a reason why Vince Neil, sung, like, he's like one of the most unique front men in rock. Yes. Like classic 80s Vince Neil. And um, like, again, yeah. they didn't even cover it in the movie. It's such a glaring omission, but he's the guy who inspired the Aerosmith song, Dude Looks Like a Lady. Yeah. That's Where? why they, they did call him a lady a few times, which I think they were hinting about. But Yeah. Because yeah. also, again, another Rick really famous Motley Crue moment, which is completely missed out of the movie, is the fact that when they did tour with Aerosmith, Aerosmith in their rider said we have to have our dressing rooms as far away from Motley Crue yeah, as possible smart because, because so, they were because <coughs> Aerosmith were trying to sober up yep. Motley Crue at the height of their absolute fucking yeah. awfulness yep. and that was completely missed out of the movie and I think that's that's one of those things which like when the toxic twins um, have to stay away from Motley Crue that tells you how out there Motley Crue were yeah. and they just completely miss that in the movie yeah and they were a huge part as well because uh, Stephen Tyler used to call Nikki Six all the time and just telling him he was going to die. And this, <laughs> like, um, Rocks was one of the first big albums that got Nikki Six into. Yeah, it's one of the best albums ever it's, recorded. It's fucking superb. Yeah. Um, so he was obviously a huge idol of his. So to then have your idol just been like, you're going to die. And he was like, please leave me alone, Stephen Tyler. <laughs> Why are you dressed like a librarian? What's going on? I'm trying to shoot up. Can you stop ringing me? Yeah. I need a free hand. Okay. Um, here's a weird scene. Defending David Lee Roth's honour. That was amazing. I forgot he was even in the film. Yeah. yeah. That was no- That was the... And also it never happened. Yeah. So they put that whole thing in there just for fun. Yes. Yeah. That's but, a weird thing about the book. So, well, the movie. So, the way the movie is framed is like the book. So, the book is divided into... Obviously, divided into, They, dis- they disagree <laughs> about memory. Yeah, I was going to say, like, in the dumbest sentence ever. Uh, Rashomon. The, bo- the book is divided into chapters. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's this... They're, honestly, they want to do Slow what down no there. one else ground has done. Bre- groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it's not um, a Cormac so, McCarthy. <laughs> but, so, the deal with the book is that each chapter is narrated from the perspective of a different member of the band. So you'll get your Tommy chapter, your Nicky okay, chapter, dude. your Vince chapter, your Mars chapter. <laughs> and also you may be... I think you get some people in between as well. You may yeah, get... You get yeah. Tom you get uh, yeah. Doc. Yeah. And yeah. one thing that the book does absolutely fantastically is it captures the voice of every member of the band completely. Perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. You, you could take away the um, headers and you would know who was narrating that chapter 100%. straight away. It's yep. so well written in that respect. Yeah. Um, and the movie does seem kind of similar in that it will have like its freeze frame moments and it'll have some cut in narration from each member of the band. Now, one thing which I thought was a little bit difficult was anyone who wasn't Tommy speaking, I was a little bit like, oh, who's talking right now? So I'd, I'd like to raise my biggest problem with this film. Yeah. Why wasn't it Motley Crue? doing yes that. i wondered that as well that's one yeah. of the first things i thought was why don't they actually have um, it was so weird but then do you think maybe it's because they're not naming themselves in the um voiceovers they're not saying hey it's mick here it's tommy and because they all sound so different no, now yeah but they, they also they, yeah but they also 
Because a lot they, of the time they, they're they, showing they, the whole band when they're in, racing. But in the movie, they also spend a lot of time freezing and turning to the camera as well. Yeah. So like, they, there's times where they make it explicitly clear and there's times where because, you know, you've got at least what... In fact, actually, you, no. You've got, you've got, because you, you've got two of your, you've got two of your four actors putting on American accents and they go yeah. for relatively like broad accents and and they I, felt so their accents felt fine in context not fine in the voiceover bit so here i am this yeah, is yeah. me do you know what i mean yeah so i think if except for tommy except for tommy yeah. machine gun kelly was superb um i think if they had have done it because they all introduced themselves they're like yeah, that was me at this stage. Blah, blah, blah. They could have done the actual. I think you were very quickly. Yeah, I think, yeah, so. I, I yeah. think that would have been fantastic. And also, it's... Motley Crue have very different voices. Yes, they do. Yeah, like Vince Neil. Vince Neil has yeah. a very specific. <laughs> yeah, like um, specific. Tommy Lee, especially Vince Neil as well. You could, I could recognize his voice straight away if yep. I heard an interview. Yeah. Um, but those guys, not so much. Um, also, the dialogue in that movie was fucking atrocious in places. It was fucking atrocious. Again, when I said joke earlier, no cliche or budget spared. Like, the dialogue was so bad. Like, there's the kind of stuff like, um, yeah, we're in a rock band. We're the best band in the fucking world. Like, that kind of bullshit yeah. in it. I know. But then that's kind of how they come across in the book as well. So where do you... Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's difficult. Because you get more time of it in the book. Yeah. But and then think... if you change it too much, you don't have the book anymore. I know exactly what you mean. Because, yeah, I mean, I think it deliberately lent into the cliche sometimes as well. But I think they did uh, it at the wrong time. But like, I couldn't tell when they were doing it on purpose and when they weren't. That's the problem. The big... The big I, d- I, don't th- I, think, I don't think the film lent into the cliche enough. I think, like, it, Ooh, okay. it, it showed it. It definitely visualised it. It showed the cliche. But it showed it as in a kind of, let's just have fun with this and not in a kind of, this is slightly embarrassing sort of thing, which is how a lot of the book comes across so now. My big, my biggest problem, so the guy that played Vince Neil, <laughs> I don't think was good. Was Vince in the, oh, he was in the film, wasn't he? Sorry. Oh, yeah. you wouldn't have recognised yeah. He drove that car. Yeah. He, was, he was so, I actually quite liked the car crash scene, actually. The car crash yeah, scene was, was actually really, bad. really yeah, well done. Idea, yeah. yeah. It was genuinely quite sobering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked that bit, actually. I thought it was very well done. And I wanted more of that. But my problem was, is that the guy delivering maybe all of the heaviest parts of the film yeah. was so bad. I know. He, he didn't have enough charisma to carry nope. the film. And also, like you say, the dialogue was written so poorly at those points. Like, the, the part with Vince Neil's daughter should have been so heartbreaking. Yeah. And yeah. she, the little girl in it, she fucking out, hell, she was incredible. She outacted him in the scenes. He, 100%. He turned it into, a, for me, a bit of a fast. Um, yeah, yeah. Can, can, are, like, we, are we going to address his drawn-on stubble? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to work out if that was like spirit gum and stage hair or whether it was real. Well, I don't think it was I, real I stubble. Think, no, I think they drew it on. I, oh God. I, it didn't again, even feel He's got a much fuller beard in real life when he grows his beard, yeah, doesn't he? The, the, movie, the movie's what running time is too short <laughs> to deal with a lot of issues. Like, I think anyone, any member of that band's story is a movie in its own TV respect. show would have been great. Right? Yeah. yeah. A TV show, or I think this would have... I genuinely, if they could have actually, and they would have no problem doing it as a document, because, like, yep. but like, I think this should have been a documentary. I think we'll still get one of one. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, it should have been a interviews with every sit down interviews with every member of the band, everyone who's ever toured with them, every kind of like all the actors as well. Um, you've got a movie about Tommy Lee where Pam Ranson is nowhere to be seen. Yes. That is fucking bizarre. I mean, you've got a Motley Crue film where. 
you only know this if you like Motley Crue, but the high point, well, the sort of redemption at the end of the film, as the ending, is they're going to go on to record Generation Swine, presumably. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Because they awesome. get back together. Which is great, well. But it's, it's a really nice ending, I think. I quite like it when... Yeah. It was fun, the ending. And, uh, you know, they're back on tour and yep. birds and whatever. Yeah. And we know it works out fairly well in the long run. Uh, but obviously, they don't cover the fact they then record, presumably around that era, would have been uh, Generation Spine. And again, and then, so th- this, this is one of the notes I made, was that the jump within time, the time jumps were really odd. So the jump from Too Fast to Love, uh, for Love, when they're playing in like shitty clubs, to playing to 18,000 arenas <laughs> on Shout of the Devil... Um, off the back of like, don't worry, the song's gonna be a big hit, and yeah. then they have huge stage production. It's just, it's just silly. And it's shout, not, it's shout a of the t- devil with all of the stuff they were doing with the songwriting at that time, mm. and all of the weird like faux satanic shit. There's so much there. Yeah, and the then, recreation of the music video. Um, that was cool. So Thanks. good. That was great. Yeah. And so good. The film the credits at the end both did a ser- did service and disservice to that film. I think. Yeah, yeah. The, the credits were amazing because they do a lot of these. They basically they do a lot of side by side comparisons to things they've shown in the film compared to the actual footage. I feel like since the fighter, that has become like yeah. a mandatory thing in every. Uh, right? And a lot and of it's really good. Human really, Rhapsody smashed that out of the park. Yes, that's the Live Aid one, isn't it, on yeah. that? Yeah. But with this one, so it's a lot of random interviews and bits on the film. And a lot of it makes you appreciate they did get a lot of it really spot on with the poses and the moves. But then also, and I need to track this down, I'm sure it's just on YouTube, but they, <laughs> out of nowhere, so there's what, actually, before we get into that, there's one really, really dumb bit, but I loved it, which is when the actor who plays Tommy Lee goes into his trailer, well, he, go, he turns to the camera and goes, yeah, dude, goes into his trailer, and then immediately the real Tommy Lee comes out and goes, yeah, dude, and walks off screen. So stupid. Great. But um, the bit I really loved, and I need to, is, I'll, I'll try and find it on YouTube, but it is Tommy yep. riding down Sunset Strip, presumably, on a motorcycle. It's like a chopper. Not yeah. looking in front of him, looking directly into a camera, but it's like alongside the motorbike. Not just, looking in front, in front at any point. No, and just talking into a camera and it being interviewed essentially on a chopper. After their singer has been in a huge collision. Does he have a helmet on? No. Nope. He's, he's wearing like a Native American headdress. <laughs> that's his yeah. hair. That's, that's Honestly, his hair. Yeah, it looked like, look like some cultural appropriation. It, it kind of it made me there. appreciate what they did in terms of a lot of the accuracy and production mm. and effort. But it also made me want a proper documentary about Miss Dead. Yeah. It also yeah. it's like it skipped over a lot of the controversies, like even from either their personal lives to the music, um, the controversies of Shout of the Devil, it kind of skipped. They briefly pre- touched on they it. Briefly, like, but it, they're doing some it's satanic. Yeah, it missed on. out my favourite Vince Neil quote, which was when he explained that pentagrams were designed to scare off werewolves. <laughs> what? I don't remember that one. So That's it's an, amazing. It's an amazing interview with uh, Nikki and um, Vince back in the early 1980s. And uh, Nikki's like, listen, man, the song is called Shout at the Devil. It's about rebelling against... Not Shout with the Devil, it's about rebelling shout against... Shout at him. Yeah, Shout at him. It's about rebelling against authority. It's about rebelling against like the negative force in your life. And then Vince Neil picked up the LP and he goes... Because this is like the original LP, which is basically a pen, black, black cover of a pentagram. Yeah. And he goes, also, pentagrams are used by ancient uh, pagans to scare <laughs> off werewolves. That's amazing. But the interview just cuts out. Uh, but what else do you need to say after that? Yeah. How do you follow that? But Nikki's face is literally like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, I was going to say that the razzle death cut death scene was re- was well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, for people who are not familiar with Motley Crue, who again, not just a movie, um, there's 
Vince Neil um, was involved in a car crash where he was in a um, car, sports car with a member of another band, a drummer called Razzle from a Finnish-British band called Hanoi Rocks, yep. who were basically on the verge of becoming... They were like the next big thing, I would say. Yeah, that, that was That was how they, yeah, how they remembered, right? And um, they were absolutely hammered after a party. They went to get some more booze and they went out and they went into a head-on collision with another car in which, um, in the accident, Razzle, the drummer of this other band, died. Yep. And the other a young people, couple. a young couple in the car in the collision, were paralyzed for life. Yeah, absolutely horrible. Um, as a result of it, Vince Neil was sentenced to thirty days in jail, which he did what 18? 19. 19 days. Nineteen days. Yeah. Um, and the movie covers this, and the movie does a really good job of actually covering the, the crash itself. Yes. Yeah. It was um, really good. Yeah. Uh, you get Razzle like in his like lap in the crash uh, in the sort of crash that car looking up at like these lights saying oh it's like Christmas you know one one point yeah one point that again took all the gravitas out of another fucking heavy bit the dialogue before it yeah with terrible. I guess an attempt at foreshadowing yeah slash casual slash casual homophobia right yeah, yeah. I, um, I feel like if you'd have cut that it would have had so much more impact. I mean, there's a keep, lot of things to keep the chat, yeah. but you know, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, and so then uh, Vince Neil agrees and says, yeah, it looks like Christmas. Then he looks back down to his friend who's lying on his lap and he's not just like lying there a I little mean, bit sort of drunk. Completely. He is it's really dead, quite a shocking in, yes, Yeah, really. covered in blood. There's like a huge like gash in his head where you can see his skull, I guess. It's, it's yeah, I wish there was more about um, the, the, the craftsmanship pro- in the film. Yeah, yes. the, the problem is, and that's a frustrating thing in the movie, the movie has these flashes of like genuine genius. Like Tommy's big day. Yeah. Uh, but also the thing of the movie as well, it doesn't deal with the consequences of him exactly. doing that whatsoever. Exactly. Every it doesn't, even, it doesn't even have him in jail. They, they use, I feel like they Vince use, hasn't ever dealt with yeah, <laughs> what, no, yeah. yeah. They actually, they use footage of Vince in court, like that when he walks away. Yes. Yeah. That was kind of cool that they used that. Yeah. But there's no consequence. There's no, weight. there's no weight to anything. Yeah. So you've got that. Again, with with Vince's daughter, she she passed away mm. and he's sad and then the band gets back together. And it like the end for me felt very strange. They, 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 really they, 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 they didn't give enough time between they, the two they, events. They literally go from the worst thing they could ever, ever happen to a human being to this triumphant comeback. Yeah. Right? And... As far as I understand, the triumphant comeback is they're going to go and do a gig. Yeah, like it's really weird. And again, the jump, the jump between because the way they're dressed as well is Motley Crue when they did their comeback in the early two thousands. Yeah, doesn't cover like the late nineties. Yeah, it's it's and weird. that's that's a big issue. Like it, they show mixed hats. The, the, so it's okay. The story is too big. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. story is too big for the less than two hours they spend on the movie. Um, another thing I just wanted to say as well, actually, yep. which I thought was like a real glaring omission was um, the Nikki Six overdose stuff. The overdose, Nikki, so... Yeah. I what, did like the ambulance scene, though. I have to say, yeah, that was kind of cool. So, that was so stupid. Yeah. He's not dying on my ambulance. <laughs> he's like, he's so, like, it's Nikki Six. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the most, like, famous, like, this is with... One of the things about Molly Crew as well, you really need to get across, and again, I don't think the movie does as well, is they weren't just, like, a popular band they were like full on celebrities. Yeah. yeah. They were, yeah. They, they, were the, they were the Kardashians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, what, yeah. what are the crew up to this week? Yeah. yeah they, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they were like the Kardashians of rock. Music. Like the monkeys, but with a lot more uh, heroin. Yeah. 
<laughs> they were uh, they were absolutely huge. They were famous as much for their personal lives, if not more, than the actual music. I think in the book they also say like you know they talk about their kind of iffy albums in the mid mid eighties. Like, well, actually, we can't prove it as long as like you're famous enough, as long as like you're yeah. notorious enough, you can kind of get away putting out bad albums. Which they touched on the movie. Yeah, they do. It's not very forced. Like we yeah. need to mention this one. There's two good songs. The rest yeah. is shit. Okay, it's done. But it, cool. Not even a hint of Wild Side. No Wild Side at all Crazy. in that movie. Yeah. Continue. Uh, anyway, so um, at one point, Nikki Six, the basically like the, the genius behind Motley Crue, yep. for like a better term, um, got into heroin, um, real bad, and he overdoses, and they think he's dead. The uh, they to basically they take him to hospital like in an ambulance. They call it on the way. Um, he's I guess videoed and like photographed like being which they show yeah, yeah. Uh, he's being wheeled out of like a um, or stretched out of a hotel OD'd probably pretty much dead at that point and they managed to like give him a, like Pulp Fiction style a couple of shots of adrenaline to get him back going again but one of the coolest things that happened which <laughs> is they don't actually cover in the movie is that there's probably well, it must be in space of about 12 hours yeah. where he was reported dead he was actually still alive, but no one knew he was still alive. Yeah. And he wakes up in hospital in like the hospital guy and everything. And he knows he has to get the fuck out of hospital before the police arrive because he has been like doing a shitload of heroin. Yeah. And he leaves the hospital, according to the book and according to legend. Yeah. In his print hos- the legend. And print the legend. Yeah. In his hospital gown. And he, outside he comes across some fans who are holding a vigil for him. <laughs> <laughs> and they like can't believe the fact they've seen like the dead Nikki Six, Nikki yeah, yeah. Six's ghost. back from a dead in a hospital <laughs> gown like getting a hospital and they agreed basically to take him home to get him away from the hospital away from the police and then he just goes home and he shoots up again they they actually took him to get more heroin yeah and the which is how fucked up it all is yeah, yeah. and like, the movie completely skips over that the movie has a fantastic scene of him ODing he goes into the back of the um, ambulance and one of the paramedics knows it's Nikki Six, yeah. and he's like, "So good." And he's like, he's "Very." Really good. And, and one of them's like, "Call it." And he's like, "No way, I'm not letting Nikki Six die yeah, in, yeah. My, yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, back yeah. of my in ambulance. ambulance." Yeah, yeah. So he pulls out like another needle with adrenaline and just shoves it in his heart, and he wakes up again. Bones, bro, bro. And this is the event that actually inspired him to write the most famous Motley Crue song, "Kickstart Kicks My, my heart. heart." And they completely miss out. And while that movie nails a lot of like the classic Motley Crue cliches, it misses what is almost a defining moment for the band. It's the one I was expecting and the most. And that's the thing which yeah. really strikes because like the thing, it's my favorite song. The things that they get right, like tune. Like there's there's stuff in that book you want to miss out. They do some real bad stuff. Yes. But there's stuff in that book which is so easy and so fun to put a movie move into a movie, which is like no one's thought with their own, like, you know, is yep. is iconic and would <laughs> suit serve the movie well. And they miss it out and I can't work out why. But there's a lot of that. I mean also Because they're trying to appeal to everybody, like yeah. but that, like, of course the, the idea of him like actually leaving hospital pronounced dead bumping into fans who then give him a lift to get more drugs is the most cool rock star moment of all time. I know. Yeah. I, I don't know why they cut that one out. That yeah. one doesn't make any sense, really. Um, and also, they admitted the second time that he did the same thing. Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's died twice. Honestly, it's like making a Nirvana movie without, like... It's like making a film about Kurt Cobain without including, like, his suicide, if that makes yeah. sense. It's yeah. one of the most iconic moments of his career... And you've skipped it. It's, it was weird. Yeah. 
I had from start to finish a really good time. I had a great time. Oh, I loved it. I'd watch it again. Yeah. There was. I probably will watch it again at some point. I think so. There was like again. There's so much they missed out. There was no weight to anything. Yeah. Which you kind of get from the book. No, is you like don't. That. no, you don't. No, you don't. Because yeah. I would say like Vince has definitely shifted uh, his memories of quite a lot of events. Absolutely. But yeah, then, 100% but, he has. He but, definitely has. But then ones with his daughter, he hasn't. No, well, obviously, I think that's... And that is so unbelievably touching. Yeah. And it's it's just very strange. The film doesn't capture the real human side of Motley Crue. No. Yeah. Yeah, right? I would agree. Yeah. Um, but the, neither and, does it capture... The polar opposite. There are parts that which is do. what they're going for is more of just pure entertainment side of things, really. Yeah. For the most part, I mean, part. one of the things which they was a glaring omission, like they have Tommy's marriage to Heather Locklear. Yeah, and the timeline so, of that was weird. Yeah. We've missed out something massive, by the way. Also, one Please. of these. Osborne. Okay. Oh, okay. Fuck. Shit. So we all and I didn't think that was going to make it into the film. So uh, all we of that. All looked at each other as soon as we saw uh, Motley Crue and Ozzy on tour. Yeah, and we were like. How the fuck is this going to go down? He snorted yeah. ants. He <laughs> drank his own piss. I would say that's probably he drank what, another man's piss. That's one. Of the, the that, that's probably one of the what second most famous moments. That in was the probably book. my yep. second favorite bit in the film. I think. Yeah. Because it was very short, one scene. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And then there was no more of that later so, on. So two two points. One, that is how it all went down. Yeah. It yeah. was one series of mental events. Yeah. It's and an that was just one like, example. Biography stuff as well. Two. I actually thought they captured the tone amazingly because it didn't look like, oh my God, here's this super intense, crazy thing that's happening. It's no. like, fuck, this is, un- this is awkward to watch. This, this man's really- mentally ill. Yeah. 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 I, I think, I think the, the thing yeah. which took away from it was the fact that beforehand it was just them on some beds hanging out. Like to- <laughs> Tommy's in like his Speedos. Um, like Vince is like probably like a Hawaiian shirt or something. Mix that in the shade. Yeah, it was just it was all so good. Before that, it was all this little bit cliche. It was like, oh, the Nazi husband walks along, um, and again they hadn't really done much to establish that they were on tour with Ozzy as well. They were just it was just so. I feel like there was someone in the film who would have made the perfect, most unbelievable Ozzy Osbourne ever. Ozzy Osbourne. Well, that would be incredible. But the first guitarist, Ramsey Bolton. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. He looks like a young Ozzy Osbourne. He looks exactly he looks really like, like a young Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, he actually does, that. yeah. He looks he's like not he... bloated enough for that era, Ozzy yeah. Osbourne. Yeah, could be. Yeah, if you want to go be. real method, yeah. But, like, even he, in, he, in Game he, of Thrones, when he's doing his real wild Ramsey yeah. shit. Yeah, he, he looks like seven, he, he looks like 70s Sabbath Osbourne, Ozzy. Yeah. But 70s Ozzy and 80s Ozzy look so different, man. Yes. They are, like, t- he, two he becomes. <laughs> Evil Sharon in one. Yeah. He becomes like <laughs> watch Fall of Western Civilization part two. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay, know. so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention one more glaring yes. mission, and it's it's you know unfortunately it's a dark one, but like again they, to miss this out in this movie is insane. But the most probably what one of the most famous celebrity marriages of all time is Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Who? <laughs> yeah. Right. I just saw a documentary um, and it didn't cover that. I mean, as <laughs> documentary. I mean, they're they're the couple that gave birth to Brandon, yes. Tommy's son. Pamela is his mom. That's very true. Yeah. Yes. Um, so because like we, also they're basically the couple which like popularized the concept of the celebrity sex tape as well. Like Tommy Lee and Pamela Anson as a couple are so iconic to the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like I genuinely can't believe the movie miss out 
Also, as a result, this music is really appropriate, I'm about to say. But. As a. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> also, the movie completely glosses over Tommy Lee's history of domestic abuse. Yeah. <laughs> There's no consequences to him hitting that woman um, in the, the one scene where they show it. It was so close to it. It was so but close I to also, having consequences. I assume they were going to be referencing it again later on. I did yeah. as well. And that's yeah. why they showed, like, he's clearly got temper. He's clearly not in control and it's going to get worse he's already done something completely heinous yeah and then they don't do it again which I thought was odd because I feel because it was quite a well done scene that one actually um, the way it was done um, but it didn't have any payoff because they didn't reference it again yeah and like yeah. For, for his problem I think or talk it's, about it's not, it it's not like that Tommy I forgot Lee, it happened until we not, just put not, it back up again yeah it's not like that Tommy Lee is like unrepentant for his actions you know that's a weird yeah like, to, to, I think like yeah, he's not bragging about it or anything. Yeah, you know, he's yeah, not like it, um, yeah, no remorse or anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it, like it's something that I thought was very weird to gloss over. Also, uh, the 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 the, the chapter from the book we reference constantly <laughs> is Tommy Lee Tommy Lee in jail making a makeshift <laughs> drum kit. I actually don't want to talk about it. It actually annoys me if they didn't put his makeshift drum kit in there. <laughs> well, his contribution what, to prison Tommy life. Tommy goes to prison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his contribution to prison life. One guy shows him how to light a cigarette using uh, shaving razors and a electrical socket. Uh, and that's been passed down for years and years as a way to light cigarettes if you don't have a match or a lighter. And then Tommy's thing is to get a load of pots and pans and hit them. <laughs> and that's his, that's his contribution to prison life. And it's one of my, fa- my favourite things I've ever read. Uh, and I'm really sad that he didn't make it into the film. But I just want to say... Oh, okay, imagine if it ended on that. I just want to say like, well. drumming um, in prison. Because, <laughs> yes, Roll credits. like they said they wanted to do a Watts and All movie and they were talking about um, Straight Out of Compton yeah. and how Straight Out of Compton whitewashed over certain things. I'm like, Straight Out of Compton is not a perfect movie by any means, but Straight Out of Compton was a, I feel like a fucking more realistic look at NWA than the day I, it was of Motley Crue. I don't know, I won't go into the specifics because it's in the first five minutes, but I generally for the first five, ten minutes thought, oh shit, maybe they're actually really going to go and show everything. Yeah. Because there was a very specific bodily act that happened within three minutes of that yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, holy shit. A, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that in a movie before. Are you watching probably have. movies then? But I, no, I but did, I, Like in a... In a... In a non-gentleman's movie. In a... Um, yes. I was like, not, not, not one of those the, art houses. Yeah, yes. you say it must be like an art. Yeah, I feel like it must. No, be I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure yeah. there's bound to have been. But I was like, holy shit! Maybe this is how they're opening the film. Maybe they're gonna really go for it. And then really projects. And I'm not saying they should have done that, mm. but it was kind of. It's almost like that was jarring in a way. It's it like keeps, I'm very passionate about three three points that I noticed in this film. But I don't away. know if they'll be discussed on other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, one. <laughs> there's a scene where Vince Neil right near the beginning Vince Neil and some girl are doing a bunch of cocaine uh, having a nice kind of intimate scene um, that's the sleepiest cocaine I've ever seen it was as if they were snorting Horlicks <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's like they forgot they'd done it or something in, in, as, as actors in the film. It was really They forgot weird. what they were meant to be doing. Well, I think when you're doing that much cocaine, it's hard to, you know, yeah, you, you become known yeah. to it maybe. Who um, knows? My next one was when uh, Nikki Six, the character playing Nikki Six, 
uh, is teaching Vince how he wants him to sing things. Mm. And he says, do this note right here as he points at a lyric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? I, like I the, know, so I really lean into this note here. That's like the George Lucas method. Faster. <laughs> More emotion. <laughs> More droid sounds. Yeah. The other, outside of, again, I cannot stress it enough, Machine Gun Kenny was so good yeah. so good and pulled off every Tommy Lee hairstyle which no yeah. no one not even Tommy Lee at points has done I know he looked better than Tommy Lee for most of his film um, Tommy Lee in that does some weird fucking super saiyan punch on a glass window <laughs> where he doesn't go through the glass but he just kind of connects with it the entire thing shatters and there is no That's scar cool. on his hand. That hands. is martial arts discipline right there. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like the Bruce Lee one inch yeah. punch. Also at that time in the movie um, like time time and space had like ceased Gone. to exist. Yeah. Gone. Nothing matters. The, re- the only reason why I knew it was in the 90s is because everyone was wearing long sleeve t-shirts and it was a Pearl Jam poster. Yeah. <laughs> it all looked yeah. a bit moody. So yeah. cool. So fav- favourite bits of the movie. So my favourite bits of the movie were the following. Um, I Machine Gun Kelly as Tommy Lee was amazing and when he's describing a day in the life was absolutely brilliant I think that was the best scene in yeah. the whole thing yeah, so my again scene. for everyone's watching basically when you get around to watching it it's kind of like a GoPro kind of thing where he wakes up completely like almost like hammered already and you get 24 hours in his life as a rock star and it's all filmed like he's got a GoPro on his head and everyone he's talking to has a GoPro on his head and it's this kind of weird point of view sort of stuff that moves very quickly and it's fucking fantastic it's got like a yeah. point of view shot of him in his like rotating drum kit in yeah. the air yeah. it's amazing it's amazing yeah. it's so much fun and it's the kind of thing you'd want from the guy who directed Jackass and it's it's one of those times in the movie where without being cliche nails it captures how it feels to be that band and I absolutely absolutely loved it um, we, were, we were all grinning like kids yeah I noticed at the end when they were doing there's some I can't remember the exact wording but there's a quote from somebody where they say you know Mick's guitar playing Nicky's bass uh, Tommy's drums I don't think anyone says Vince is singing no they do they do they do, they yeah. do say yeah. that I didn't hear that yeah they do yeah. oh do they I, I, yeah. no the reason why it's also it's because it's, it's Vince saying it that's what I thought yeah. I know yeah. but he's still it made me laugh he goes, he goes yeah. yeah he said like when, yeah Tommy's drums when like uh, when Nicky picks up his bass, and also I didn't know Vin- who was saying it. To yeah, be when fair. Vince plugs in and I grab the microphone. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think we covered nearly everything. Uh, oh, when, when the name in the band was fucking great. I was so. I stupid. loved it. I loved it so much. Uh, so oh yeah, um, I've never seen people get so excited about umlauts in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck uh, my, Whoa. My second favorite moment was the freeze frame montage of the very first gig. Uh, yeah, that was att- Attention to detail because it's got Nicky in his like thigh high, um, boot red like leather boots the costume, which I completely forgot he used to wear perfect they really were and also another little touch detail um, you don't see it until they do the Dr. Feelgood tour but Vince Neil's playing guitar on that tour which he didn't yeah I I noticed that I saw you you clock it and I was like yeah Yeah. it's it's because he always does it for SOS yeah Yeah. having seen them play live yeah well well, we know (laughs) Um, I agree I think for me I think absolutely Machine Gun Kelly was yeah. the star of it. Yeah, MVP by far. Um, the guy that played Doc McGee. Oh, shit. He was great. He was brilliant. Uh, I he, forgot, but sorry. He, he was absolutely oh, brilliant. Line, yeah, it's, and God. his intro was amazing as well. He, he, yes. is, isn't it the dude who's in um, Flight of the Concord who's in love with Kristen Charles' character? Uh, maybe. He's the, um, he's Walter White's friend in um, 
Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, he, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's also be a guy who comes around to the office in the American office. Yeah, so he's he's also in... Can't you Yeah. Shit, no, he's he's in Flight of the Concords. He is Kristen Schaal, who's the super fan of the band. It's her husband who drives her everywhere. Yes, and he's just yes. there, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, looking very yeah, depressed yeah. as she obsesses over him. He, yeah, was, he was great. And he... Yeah. He was the good kind of almost audience perspective at times. Yeah, he he is like he's a character actor, and his character is uh, our very average, straight, normal, straight as narrow kind of boring dudes who are in situations way over their head, and they are just coping with it the best they can. Yeah. And he is brilliant. Well, like he kicks ass in it as well. Yes, he, he kicks everyone's ass. And speaking of which, yeah. Our favourite character from sci-fi Netflix original, Stranger Things. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I so, the dad. Yeah, Tommy oh, yeah. Lee's dad is played by is it Mike's, yeah, yeah. Mike's dad from Stranger Things, the one who is like the very bore boring um the kind per- of the perfect The Reaganite, isn't he? Yeah, the Reaganite, yeah, yeah. the most straight as narrow kind of dude. Who, when the government come round, he's like, Well, of course the Patriots here. <laughs> yeah. And doesn't realise oh, yeah. that like it's a surprise that his wife is potentially going to have an affair with a teenage boy in the next series. But it's happening. I've seen that trailer. It's 100% happening. Well, it has to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah Mike's no. mom is a beautiful woman. I'm saying it. There you go. It's on the podcast. <laughs> Put it in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This should be a documentary series. Yep. This should be like a six-part, ten-part documentary yep. covering like maybe you know 40 minutes each episode. Interviews of the band record producers record label other bands um journalists stuff like that yeah just covering motley Crue's uh career because Agreed. again the advantage of motley Crue being actual celebrities is there's so much footage of them from like 80s yeah. and 90s stuff like that that you would have enough to put together a fantastic documentary um and i think that would probably better suit um their story than a less than two hour movie because there's too much put in there yes. and like their, their story is you know it's the it is Hollywood cliche but at the same time it's so mm. real but they, as well they were and Hollywood cliche exactly yeah, no, that's not that's not a detriment yeah, yeah. but like the Hollywood cliche is much is kind of uh, matched with how emotional and raw that yes. story is as well and I think a documentary would better serve that. I agree. Um, yeah, like, I think so yeah. as well. And I feel like if yeah, if if um, if you could do a mulligan, you could do a do-over. Mm-hmm. I would I would tell the story as a documentary. I think it lends itself so well as documentary. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm hoping that what it does, it's on Netflix main page. I'm hoping some people check it out because it looks a bit silly. Oh, 100 percent they will. Yeah, and maybe it inspires them to check out some of their like shout out the devil, Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, check out some of their real fucking heavy hitters. And maybe, hopefully, read the book. Yes. And if, if yes. it gets 10 people doing that, cool, success. And one thing I want to say is if, you've, if you enjoyed the movie and you enjoyed this podcast, um, go check out our earlier episode on... Um, Generation Swine. Generation Swine. Because yeah. that's part of the, the story which... God, we didn't talk about John Karabi. Nope. Um, we fill in a blank. We fill in... Yeah, we... We, we, we spend we, as long as that movie... John <laughs> We actually do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We basically there there are some gaps in that movie and we cover a huge one and that's basically their nineteen talks to Netflix. That's their nineteen nineties <laughs> comeback which yeah. utterly tanked, which is not covering the movie. It wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the best of endings, would it? But, it, <laughs> but it would it's it's a fun story nonetheless. Yeah, so yeah, if you, if you're interested, like go back to our archives. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts, we're on Podbean Network as well. So if you want to hear a bit more of the Motley Crue story, which isn't covered in the movie. 
then go back and check out our gen- it's part of our shit list and uh, go back and check out our Generation Swine episode because it's a real good time as Where well. Where we lovingly poke fun at Yeah, that's true. Also, we, we actually cover the Pamela Anderson Tommy Lee stuff, which isn't in the movie yeah. at all. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. If, so if, <laughs> if you were left wanting more from that film, <laughs> we've already done it. Yeah. Don't worry. So you can find us everywhere, um, everywhere Jim just listed, uh, at Slowly We Rock. So please do go and take, uh, take a listen to that episode. It's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's yeah. very stupid. It's one, of my, one of my favorites. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot to be said for it. There's stuff that maybe should have been covered in the film that maybe wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head though. No, I t- probably certain songs, maybe like a ballad or something. But I can't think maybe of what it would be. Something specific. Yeah. But guys, thank you so so, so much for it. listening. Um, I hope our excitement is kind of echoed through what you can hear. Yeah, yes. we loved it. We had such a good time. It was it was flawed. It had its weird bits. It had its absolute highs. But for every single minute, we were all sat here grinning. That basically yep. sounds like it's, Motley Crue. Yeah, I was going to say, you described Motley Crue. Maybe yeah. it is perfect, the film. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. It's very meta. Yeah. <laughs> Machine Gun. Oh, my God. Kelly. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Machine Gun. She you is are. your mum. She is your mother. <laughs> you go and listen to our other episodes because that will make sense. Yeah. But yeah. thank you so, so much. Thanks, guys. We, we are absolutely going to get sued. <laughs> Oh